If you would now, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. We're getting down to the home stretch here as we finish out this, this glorious book that we've been plodding through. And so we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. So will you stand with me as we give attention to the reading of God's Word? Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the word of the Lord. Please play with me. Father, your word says in Psalm 118 that this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we rejoice and be glad in it because you are a good God who gives good gifts like little Quincy to the Kettlers. Lord, we thank you for all the children in the crossing. Lord, we pray for all their families and all and all their little souls, Lord, that one day they would grow up and again, the fear and admonition of the Lord, they would hear the gospel in their homes and they would repent and believe in you. That they would come to Mount Zion where there's uh, joy and jubilee. Lord, we thank You for that. And we know this is all possible and why we rejoice because of Your Son Jesus. His life, His death, and His resurrection on our behalf. He was our substitute. He lived a life that we were called to live but could not live. His life was perfect. He died on the cross, a death that we should have died. He, he died for us. And then He rose again three days later to prove that He truly was the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And so, Lord, uh, uh, let us again look to Jesus, for He is far superior than anything out there. He is our Savior. He is our King. He is our Daddy. And so, Lord, what we are not, please make us. And what we know not, please teach us. And what we have not, please give us. Informed by Your Word and empowered by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead have a seat. Well, if you are visiting with us, we go through books of the Bible. And Hebrews 12, 18 through 29 or 18 through 24 today is one of the reasons why we go through books of the Bible. And, and, and typically go line by line, verse by verse, paragraph through paragraph. Uh, because we come to great passages like this that we don't skip over. I, I did a little search over a number of different churches uh, in the city, in the state that are more topical, that don't preach line by line, verse by verse. And, and I wanted to see if they preached in Hebrews 12, 18 and 29. And I couldn't really find one that did. Uh, they all preached on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which is a great, great verse and great, cha- uh, great uh, verses in this chapter. But no one preached 12, 18 through 29. And this is why I love that we do this and go through books of the Bible. Because after studying it this past week, it is my personal opinion that this is one of the greatest sections in all of Scripture. 
This is one of the greatest sections in all of Scripture and has actually become one of my favorite sections in all of Scripture after diving down into it this week. We've been going through the book of Hebrews for a number of weeks and, and, and as we come to Hebrews chapter 12, we are, we are summoning the, the pinnacle, the climax of the book of Hebrews. We'll, we'll still have two more, we'll still have one more chapter, uh, Hebrews 13 to, to follow through. That's almost like an addendum. That's almost like a PS. Chapter 12 is the crescendo of the book of Hebrews and verses 18 through 29 is the absolute peak. And Hebrews has many high peaks as we've been walking through, but but we are starting today to hike up the, the greatest and the highest peak. It is the Mount Elbert of the book of Hebrews for us. And so therefore, I was going to do it in one week, but just looking at it and studying it, we're going to take two weeks on our journey up this mountain to summon. And, and this morning, as we hike up Hebrews 12, 18 through 24, as we we're hiking up this, this mountain that we read about Mount Zion, uh, it represents the new covenant. It represents the new covenant. And my hope is that through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, that your passion, my passion, grows deeper and wider for Jesus and the new covenant. That we truly see that Jesus is better, which has been the theme of Hebrews. If you're visiting with us, or maybe a quick context, you maybe you missed a couple Sundays, uh, we know that the theme, as I already said, is Jesus is better. Jesus is far superior. And what we've seen is that Jesus is a better savior. He's a better prophet. He's better than the angels. He's better uh, mediator than Moses. He's a better rest than Joshua in the, in the in the promised land. He's a better priest. And today again, we see that he is a better mediator of the new covenant. And so there's two mountains that we're going to come to today. And the first one is in verses 18 through 21. The first mountain, Mount Sinai. This represents the old covenant. In verses 18 through 24, again, we're going to see a contrast between two mountains. Uh, Mount Sinai represents the Old Covenant, and Mount Zion represents the New Covenant. And first we look at Mount Sinai. Look at verse 18. It says, for you, for you, and for me, Christians, uh, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose word words made the heavens beg that no further message be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. Even the beast that touches the mountains, it would be stoned. It shall be stoned. Indeed, verse 21 says, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now, we've taught through the book of Exodus, and we know that that we have taught through this scene where where. Moses has led the people of Israel out from slavery of Egypt and they come to this mountain. And it's at this mountain, Mount Sinai, that represents the Old Covenant. That this is where the inauguration of the Old Covenant was given by God to Moses, to the people. And the Old Covenant highlights God's holiness, His power, His majesty, and His justice. And it says here, for you have not come. The author is writing to, again, Jewish Christians there, and they said, you have not come to this mountain. This is a mountain that Israel came to. So us as Christians, we don't and do not come to this mountain. We see in a couple of verses that we come to a different mountain. But again, this is reminding us and has taken us back to Exodus, where Moses led the people of Israel to this mountain to give them this covenant. Uh, this, this covenant was given in Exodus 19 and 20, and also was highlighted in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and chapter 5. And what I want to do is just share just the goodness of the God in my life. 
the providence of God in my life. There are no accidents. There are no things that just happen. Uh, I, I get up and me and six other guys, we go lift in the morning around 6 a.m. And, and I always start off with a little warm up on the treadmill. And on the treadmill, I listen to the ESV study Bible going through the study Bible in a year. And it starts out, has a good little thing, has an Old Testament passage, has a psalm, and then it has a New Testament passage. So I'm walking on the treadmill on Thursday, and guess what passage pops up? Guess what passage the Lord providentially has us listen to on Thursday? It's Deuteronomy chapter 4. It's, it's all about Mount Sinai. It's all about what we're studying here in Hebrews chapter 12. And that's just the goodness of the Lord. He's just reminding me of the text that I'm studying that this happened in time in history. It's a beautiful thing. And I want you to notice the human senses are all engaged by the writer describing what happened in Mount Sinai. You, you can feel an experience as if you were there as he writes these words. He gives us seven descriptions of what took place at Mount Sinai. He says it's a mountain that cannot be touched. It's a, a blazing fire. There's darkness. There's gloom. There's a tempest. A sound of a trumpet and of a voice. This is so intense that the people and even God's man Moses was freaking out, was afraid, was scared. He trembled with fear because the presence of the Lord was on this mountain. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you, were, you trembled with fear? When was the last time that you were afraid at this level? I can remember there was a time when I was playing in the minor leagues and we were in Beloit, Iowa. Who's ever been to, anyone been to Beloit, Iowa here? A couple, all right, a couple of people, right? There's not much in Beloit, Iowa. There was a baseball field and there was a tornado that was coming through in Beloit, Iowa, right? And you have guys like from me, from Arizona and California that have no idea, no, no context for a tornado playing with Midwestern guys that have all kinds of context of a tornado. And, and when this, we were in the locker room, and, and all of a sudden this storm came in. There was darkness. There was gloom. There was a sound of a, it was a, like a tempest, a winds going where the, the light posts were almost going like at 45 degree angles. It was blowing that hard. There was a loud siren that went off, like told people to like, get cover. And you see us from like Arizona and, and California freaking out. We're like, what do we do? What do we need to do? I mean, there's a, a tangible fear in my heart. Like, what do we do? Do we jump into the bathtub? Do we go on? What, what, what do we do? Meanwhile, the guys in the Midwest are like, oh, nothing. They're sitting there playing cards still like nothing's going on, right? But we're freaking out. When was the last time that you were, that you trembled with fear? This is a, a traumatic scene so much that the people, again, they trembled so bad that in verse 19, that they asked Moses to, to ask the Lord to stop speaking to them. And maybe in a very gracious way, they, they shh God. Tell God, shh, we can't handle it anymore. We can't handle it anymore. And when we read this account in Mount Sinai, in the Exodus, there's a phrase that kind of really stands out, that kind of describes or sums up the, the feeling that the, the people were, were feeling there. In Exodus 20, 18, see if you guys can pick out this phrase. It says this, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Exodus 20, 21, And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. 
What's the phrase that they repeat that sums up this experience? That they stood far off. They didn't go near because of the presence of the Lord. His holiness was overwhelming to the people that they didn't go near the mountain. Now this is the grace of God. When, when God came to the mountain and His presence was on there, He set up a parameters. He set up barriers where the people of Israel could not go because He said if you went and passed these barriers, you would die. Even your animals would die, as He says in Hebrews 12.20. Even if an animal strayed to touch this mountain, they were to be killed. Why? Because the sinfulness of man cannot dwell with the holiness of God. And the whole message was loud and clear to Israel with all these things happening. It was, stay back. You cannot approach. Again, you cannot approach a holy God in your sinful condition. And, and this, is, again, was given the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was summed up by the, the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments cannot save. The Ten Commandments cannot save anyone. They were, they were put in place to show the people their sin and their need for a Savior. They are put in place to show God's holiness and His demands for what holiness demands, and that's a perfect life. And we saw that the Ten Commandments show people that they could not live up to that. Galatians 3.24 says the, the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant was given as a guardian, a tutor, a trainer to point people to Jesus, to show them their sin as a mirror, and they were to look then for a Savior. And God set this whole sacrificial system put in place for a covering of their sin for only a year. It was only temporary. The, the sacrificial system of the animals could only cover their sin for a year. It didn't quench their sin. It only covered it. And there could only be one mediator, Moses at this point, and the high priest that could be the people's representative to go before God. While all the other people stood back and said, we cannot approach. Moses, you go up on for us because we are afraid to approach God. This is the mountain that the author of Hebrews says that you and I do not go to. Are you not glad that you don't have to go and experience that mountain? I sure am. I'm sure glad. I'm glad for a number of reasons when we look at the Old Covenant, why we're still not under the Old Covenant, but we are under the New. There are a number of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is that I, I don't think I could ever be a priest in the Old Covenant in the system. And have you guys bring up your animals, right? Your your goats, your lambs, your your turtle doves, or whatnot, and and you'd bring them on a Sunday, and we would sacrifice them up here, and constantly do that. I don't know if I could do that. Could you do that? Could you constantly say, "Hey, bring your animal that you've been caring for and loving to bring up here to to sacrifice"? Praise the Lord that we don't live under the old covenant in the sacrificial system, right? Now, if you brought me your cat, I might go ahead and sacrifice them, but. Amen. No, just kidding. Just kidding, you cat lovers. We, we love you guys. Jesus loves cats too. He created them, right? But again, we don't come to this mountain. We don't have to, we don't have to be outside the boundaries. We don't come to this mountain and stand far off and send just Moses up for us. We, we come to another mountain. And this mountain points us to a greater mountain. So let's, let's, let's go there. And that's the point number two. The better mountain, Mount Zion, the new covenant is, is found in Hebrews 12, 20 through, through 22 through 24. Look at verse 22. But you have come. We, we first saw the negative. You have not come, but, but now you have come 
to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood that, se- that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Is this not a better mountain? Aren't you glad that this is the mountain that you get to come to, that I get to come to through Christ, the new covenant? Mount Zion. You see, one of the most effective things and ways to teach uh, children or others is to use contrast. Is to contrast two things. This is this and that is that. And this is what the author of Hebrews is doing. He's contrasting these two mountains. He's contrasting Mount Sinai with the Old Covenant with Mount Zion, the New Covenant. This is one of the most effective things. This is not that. In other words, this is a man, that is a woman, right? This is a cat, this is a dog. This is one of the most effective ways in which we can teach one another. And this is what the author says. Uh, This is Mount Sinai, the Old Covenant. This is Mount Zion, the New Covenant. And he contrasts them. Just like there were seven characteristics of Mount Sinai, we're going to read about seven characteristics of Mount Zion that we have come to. And again, Mount Sinai was not bad. It was good. It was a good grace of God to give to the people because it showed them their state and it showed them their need for a Savior. It, it, it was good. It pointed. It showed us the holiness of God, and again, our our need for a better covenant and a better mediator than Moses. We needed the new covenant, and we needed Jesus. The people were terrified, and and they had a reverential fear of the Lord, highlighted by what? Stay back. The people stood far off. Do not come close. But here we see the contrast. But you have come to Mount Zion. As Christians, this is the mountain that we get to come to, a different mountain. And that phrase, but you have come, I would highlight that, I would circle it in your Bible, I would memorize it in this contrast. It's used in other places in Hebrews. This is the main theme, not only in the book of Hebrews, but in all of Scripture. We as Christians can approach the Lord with joy. We have full access because of Christ. Uh, you have come. The phrase that's used in other places in Hebrews is draw near. Not stand off. Draw near. Come closer. That's the phrase. Don't stand off because you're terrified of your sin and the holiness of God, but in fact, draw near and rejoice in the holiness and majesty and power of the Lord that you now stand in because of Jesus and the new covenant. God says, come near. Draw near. Hebrews 4.16 says this, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. With confidence. Not with fear and trembling, but with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 10.22 Let us draw near with a, a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Draw near. Come close. and Come close with confidence. Come close with full assurance that you won't be rejected. There are no barriers. God the Father says, come near. By the grace of God, You and I are able to do this. 
One says this, in sharp contrast from the scene at Sinai, an overwhelming impression of the unapproachability of God is eclipsed in the experience of full access to the presence of God and of Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. This is the mountain that you and I get to come to if we repented our sins and trusted in Christ. Draw near. Don't stand back. Draw near. Before when we planned a church here, we, before we had this facility, I had to have an office in my, in my house. There was a study upstairs, and, and, I, and a lot of times I had to close the door because we had five kids in seven years, and so it's perpetual motion in the Santini home. And they were, they were little shavers and our princesses. They were running around. We like to have a good time. And I would keep the door closed, you know, try to get some semblance of studying done. But there would always be every single day without a matter of fact that the door would fly open and typically it was Nate the Great that would just run in and jump into my arms. And you know what I never did? I never disciplined them for not doing that. I never said, Nate, don't ever come in here. Why? Because I wanted him and all my kids to draw near to their father whenever they wanted. Free access, no barriers, no boundaries. And this is what the Lord God wants for you. In Christ, He says there's no barriers, there's no boundaries. You have full access to Me. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And He wants you to draw near. It's a great phrase. It's a great contrast. Do not come. You have not come to this mountain, but you have come to this mountain. You've been drawn near. The author gives, again, seven descriptions and here we get to notice something about this. But you have come to Mount Zion. Notice it's not present tense or not you will come. It's you will already have come. It's in the past tense. For those of us that again have recognized our rebellion against God, we've repented of our sins, we've trusted in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. This is something that is already ours. We've already been to the summit of Mount Zion. It's one of those things that we are around the crossing we, we talk about. It's already happened, but not yet. It's a reality that we have positionally, but practically we haven't fully grasped it yet. It's kind of like an inheritance. Who in here has maybe received an inheritance from a family member? A couple years ago, I've received an inheritance from my, my grandparents. I, I was in the will, and, and it was mine when they would pass and be with the Lord. Well, that, when that day passed, then I got the inheritance. But for the, you know, the, the 40 plus years where I, where I was alive and they were, you know, still alive, I, it was mine. It was, it was mine positionally, but not yet practically. This is one of those things. You have come. It's past tense. If you're a Christian, you have already come to this mountain. You've already experienced positionally the love, grace, and mercy of God, but we haven't fully experienced it yet in glorification. And now he's going to kind of unpack kind of what we are coming to, again, in these seven great characteristics of this mountain, this heavenly city. Now, we could spend you know, a sermon on each one of these, but we decided to take it all together, just feel the weight, the impact, the joy, the grace, the good gift of God in these things that we have come to that are in Mount Zion. First, we see we come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. This is all the same places. There are synonyms to say about the same place. This is the place where God's presence dwells. Just like on Mount Sinai, He dwelled here, He also dwells in heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. 
This is what we talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, where Abraham was looking for this city when he was called out from the land of Ur. This was the city that he was longing for and going to. In Hebrews 11.10, it says this, that he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder was God. We, we built some cool things around as, as, as humans. You go down, down, down Denver, I was just driving down there. Uh, to had to go down there for something. You see these huge skyscrapers, and they're awesome. But it has nothing on the city of God. In this mountain, this heavenly Jerusalem, again, is where God dwells. And there are no gates around it like the, the White House where you just got to stand back and look forward. You, you can approach and engage with God the Father Himself here. We are going to get we get a little taste of this in Revelation chapter 21, where the Apostle John gets his vision of the heavenly city and kind of writes it down for us. And we kind of understand it, but not really. We have really no idea the, the, the size, the scope, the grandeur of what heavenly city this will be, what it's going to be like. It's going to be an incredible place, an incredible place. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul even visited heaven in one of his letters. And when he came back, he, he just he couldn't even he couldn't even describe it. There's there's a reason why there's not a lot of description in heaven because it's just it's just so undescribable to us right now in our finite language and experience. And so if you ever read a book about, hey, I spent four minutes in heaven, uh, probably didn't spend any time in heaven right there. Right. Because it's indescribable. If the Apostle Paul can't write about it, then probably some kid can't either. This is an incredible city that we have been called to. There's a scope, there's a beauty, there's a grandeur to it. So that's the first thing. Second thing, it says another contrast. We see this right off the bat between Mount Sinai where there's fear and trembling and judgment and the people are standing off to Mount Zion. Look at verse 22. And to innumerable angels in festal gatherings. This is an incredible, incredible scene. Mount Zion is a place that portrays life and joy, and exuberance, and a festal gathering. That means it's, it's, a, it's a heavenly party going on right here in heaven. That's what we're called to. Not doom and gloom, but a joyous, heavenly, festal gathering, a party with all the saints and all the angels that have come before us, and Jesus Himself is there hosting the party. He is hosting the party. Look at Revelation chapter 5. We see these angels that are singing. Revelation chapter 5. Let me just read a couple things to you. And you don't have to turn there. Just listen as I read. But this is, what we, this is what we read. And the four living creatures, and each one of them with six wings full of eyes all around them, and within day and night they cease to say, these are angels. And they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then it goes down and it talks about then whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who are seated on the throne and worship him and lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne singing, worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and they are created. And then in verse nine of chapter five, it says they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take up the stroll, to open up its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God and every, from every tribe and every language and every tongue and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. There is a perpetual party and singing going on on this mountain. 
It's an incredible scene. Translation is, to be a part of this heavenly festal gathering is going to be one big party. As we used to say, it's going to be a shindig, right? It's going to be a shindig. You see, the mood in heaven is not going to be somber, depressing. It's not going to be like a monastery where people are just humming to the Lord, you know? It's going to be excitement. There's going to be joy. There's going to be exuberance. It's going to be life because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is there. This idea of innumerable angels and festal gatherings, some, some translate it like this. It's, it's angels in party clothes. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm, I'm ready to see an angel in party clothes, right? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be filled with joy and singing and great food. And we will be with the myriads, the millions upon millions of angels and the millions upon millions of people from every tribe, every tongue and every nation worshiping the Lord. Let me just read you Revelation 7, 9. This is what it says. And after I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages stand before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Who wants to experience that right now? Raise their hand. Amen. That's what awaits us. It's already, but not yet. And then he goes on. This, not only that, we, we come to this, verse 23. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. To the assembly of the firstborn. Who are, who are the firstborn that are enrolled in heaven? It's every Christian. It's every believer. It's every person on the face of the planet going all the way back to Adam and Eve who saw their need for a Savior because of their sin. They bent, they bent their knee. They repented and trusted in Christ. And it's everyone from then on out. Who's enrolled in heaven? That means their name is written in the book of life in Revelation chapter 20. Is your name written in the book of life? Are, are you going to be one of the firstborn? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Christ? If not, today is the day of salvation where you're going to come and experience the glorious gospel and the saving grace of God. Every Christian, Abraham, David, Lydia, Mary, Paul, you, me. The firstborn. Again, we went through the book of Genesis and we understand this idea of firstborn. It was a big deal in this culture. The firstborn was what the, what the family revolved around. The, the firstborn one that had all authority would pass on to the firstborn. He would be the, the, uh, the heir of the inheritance of the family. He would be, he would get the double portion of the blessing. I mean, the family did everything for the firstborn. The firstborn. The firstborn. Didn't matter if you had ten other kids. The firstborn is the one that mattered. He got special treatment. And here, the author says we're all firstborns. Every single one of us in here are firstborns. We are all heirs of Christ. Romans 8.17 says, I'm 50 years old. I've been in ministry for 20 plus years, full time. Known the Lord over 30 years. Dedicated my life to the Lord. And I'm a firstborn child of the king. And so is my daughter. She's just 18. 
She's just starting her life. And she is a firstborn of the Father. Because it's not about what we do. It's not about what we earn. It's about what Christ has done for her and for me. And for you. We are all firstborns. We all get the inheritance of the Father. It's incredible joy. He goes on. We've come to God, the judge of all. For Christians, this is a glorious judgment. I've heard pastors and teachers and even Christians talk about this. like They're scared to death of the judgment to come. And I'm like, why? You're in Christ. If you are in Christ, there is no more judgment. Judgment has been paid on the cross. When you see the Lord on that day, the day of the Lord, you're not getting justice or judgment, you're getting rewards. You're getting the inheritance that's saved up for you as the firstborn son. It's not a scary day. It's a, it's a day to rejoice in. It's a day to look forward to. It's on that day that you and I, Christians, will get the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. And we'll get to spend forever with God the Father and Christ our King. It'll be a glorious day. It's a glorious judgment. Now apart from Christ, if, that, if you're not in Christ, then it is a scary day. Because you're going to get judged on your merits and your merits are, are sin, which equals death. So again, if you have not come to Christ today, today is the day of salvation. He goes on, number five, he says that the spirits of the righteous made perfect. All the saints will receive their glorified bodies to go with their glorified souls right now. Just think about that. It's going to be a day where there's going to be no more physical suffering, no more pain, no more disease, no more masks, no more vaccines, no more death. There'll be no more sin, no more unrighteousness, no more injustice. Nothing but righteousness. Perfection. Joy. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, we finally get to see our mediator face to face. What, what, what Thomas got to experience a couple thousand years ago where Jesus, after the resurrection, came to him, Thomas got to go up and say, Jesus said, hey, put your finger in my side. See that I'm real. Here, put your, put your fingers in my hands. We're going to be able to do that. We're going to be up there to go and touch Jesus. Touch His side. Give Him a little tickle. <laughs> right? You know, I don't know. I don't know if there's tickling in heaven. I don't know. Right? We're going to be able to hold His hand. He's going to be just as physical as you are looking at me right now and as I'm looking at you. The reality that we will be face to face with Christ our mediator, the one who died and secured the new covenant. He will be right there in front of us. And seven, and to a sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is so good. You guys remember the story of Cain and Abel? We looked at it and we went through Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. God received Abel's sacrifice because of his faith. We learned that in Hebrews chapter 11 a couple weeks ago. And he rejected Cain's sacrifice. Cain was angry. He was jealous of his brother. And because of that, he killed his brother, Abel. The second recorded sin in the Bible for us. 
God comes to Cain and be like, hey, uh, Cain, where's your brother? Where's your brother Abel? Do you remember what Cain said? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God knew where Abel, what happened. He wasn't asking like, hey, I don't know where you know, Abel is. Where is he? He knew what was going on. Then the Lord said this, what have you done, Cain? What are the next words? Your brother's blood does what? Cries out from the ground. And what is it crying out? It's crying out for vengeance. It's crying out for justice. This is the, this is the blood of Abel. This is the, the word that the blood of Abel says. That there needs to be justice because sin happened. There was a killing. Abel's blood was spilled, but Jesus' blood was spilled. Jesus' blood was also spilled. And it cries out as well. But his life wasn't taken from him. He laid it down on his own volition. He laid it down for you and for me. And what his blood cries out is not for vengeance or justice. What his blood cries out is justification and forgiveness. That's why it's better. It's a saving crying out. His blood that was shed on the cross what saves us, what gives us the opportunity to, to be forgiven. Justice has been paid through Christ's death on the cross. We saw that in Hebrews 9 and Hebrews chapter 10. I love Ephesians chapter 1. This is what it says, in Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. That's what Christ's blood scries out. That's why it's better. That's why Jesus is a better mediator, a better sacrifice. And that's why the new covenant is a better covenant. Are you not glad that this is the mountain that you have come and not Mount Sinai? This is your reward. This is my reward, the inheritance because of your faith in Jesus. So, so how do we respond to this? I mean, one, it's already not yet. But how do we respond to this? To the reality of the new covenant for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me just sum it up with James chapter 4. Draw near. Draw near to God and He will what? Draw near to you. See, you and I don't have to stand back. We don't have to be afraid. We, we, we don't have to say, Lord, stop speaking. It's overwhelming. I can't endure it. No, because of Christ. And because we're in Christ by faith. We draw near to Him. We want to hear His voice. So don't stand back, but draw near. With confidence. With boldness. With joy. And again, we, we, we don't draw near by trying harder and doing better. Some of us, that's the natural temptation of, of us as humans is try harder, do better. We need to still earn our access to God. That. That, that's the law. That's the old covenant. That takes us back to Mount Sinai. It doesn't take us to Mount Zion. How do we draw near? We draw near by believing. We draw near by faith. Faith in Jesus, Jesus, the mediator of the new and better covenant. Who because of His life, because of His death, because of His resurrection, now we have full access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That we have summited Mount Zion. 
already, but not yet. So, our response is to draw near. And as you and I walk towards God, as we draw near towards God, He just doesn't sit back and wait for us to get to Him. He runs to us. Like the prodigal son. The father of the prodigal son. He sees his son from a distance walking towards him. And what does the father do? He runs to the son. Embraces the son. Kisses the son. And he throws what? A big party for the son. Have you come to Mount Zion? If not, today is the day of salvation. So if there's anyone in here that has not repented of their sin and trusted in Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection for the salvation of your souls, you're at Mount Zion and you're staying back. I'm sorry, you're at Mount Sinai. And now it's time to transfer mountains to the heavenly Jerusalem to be a firstborn son of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And to party with all the angels and all those saints that have come before us. And if you have, and you're in a deep, dark valley right now, meditate on these verses. Understand what your position is in Christ. And see if He doesn't change your heart and your circumstance. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Your Word is what informs us Lord, we We are so thankful that we come to Mount Zion. And again, the reason why we get to come to Mount Zion is because You have first come to us through Your Son Christ. Thank You for His life, His death, His resurrection. He is the One that now guides us to Mount Zion. And so again, my plea is if anyone in here does not know Jesus, they would come to know You. They would pray and repent of their sins and trust in You. And for those of us that have, Lord, let us just understand the incredible blessing it is to be under the New Covenant and to be under the Mediator, the One Mediator, as Justin said, the Man Christ Jesus, who right now is interceding for us before the God of the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.